you would please open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, the first chapter. I'm going to read verses 13 through 14. Verses, I'm sorry, verse 3 through 14. Keep your Bibles open here. It is my text. I will be back to this passage. As I read it, I will remind you that this is the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we, uh, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who, has, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Now, Lord, this, this uh, passage is a, a, a difficult passage. I, I readily admit that. Lord, I pray that you would give me wisdom to um, navigate through it. Lord, it may be that uh, all of us um, may not be uh, in agreement with all these things uh, that I may have to say. I don't know. But Lord, I do pray that you would keep us attuned to the scripture. Keep us focused on what does the Bible say. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of, of having a copy of the Word of God that we can read preach and believe. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. In this glorious passage, the Apostle Paul launches into an avalanche of praise for God. He begins by summarizing what he's so excited about. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
Even though he is chained up in prison, he feels incredibly blessed. And he wants us to know how blessed we are too. Now in our English Bibles, verses 13 through uh, verses 3 through 14 is uh, actually in the Greek one long 200 a word sentence. That's why it's kind of awkward in English. If you read through it, the translators divide it up into smaller sentences to try to make it more readable. But because it all is all one long sentence in, in, in Greek, or passage in Greek, it's difficult to exactly divide it up according to the rules of English. But what it is, is a doxology with three stanzas. It begins in eternity past and extends to eternity future. We open the service by singing what's commonly referred to as the doxology. The doxology, the word doxology, comes from the Greek word doxa, which means glory. So a doxology is an expression of God's glory. More particularly, it's an expression of praise. So a doxology is an expression of praise. We find this Greek word doxa three times in this passage. It helps to form the chorus of each stanza. I thought I brought a hymnal. Um, I, I remember when my mom taught me how to read from a hymnal. I was probably six or seven, I guess. And, you know, when you're learning to read, you know that you've you take your finger and you go down one line and the next line to the next line to the next line. Well, songs, hymns got messing me up because they were skipping lines, right? So, you know, I didn't realize, and I remember clearly what she was showing me. She took the hymn and showed me. She said, well, this is verse one. So you read the top line, verse one. You jump down and then you read the, the second line there. So the, the verses are, are separate. And then I finally figured out what I had been doing what I'd been doing wrong. Well, this passage is like a, a, a hymn. It has three stanzas. Now, I'll say three verses, but verses confuse us because we're looking at four, you know, uh, 11 verses here. But um, it has three stanzas, and like a hymn, those stanzas are then um, followed by a chorus. So there's actually three stanzas and three choruses. Let me explain what I mean. Verse 6. To the praise of the doxa of his grace, to the praise of the glory. That's chorus number one. So verses three, four, five is the stanza. Verse six is the chorus. Go down to verse 12. To the praise of his doxa or glory. That's the second chorus. All right, so verses seven through 11 is the second stanza, or the second verse, followed up by a chorus. Then go down to verse 14. The, the, the doxology ends with a third chorus, to the praise of his doxa, his, his glory. So verses 13 and 14 is the third stanza. And the, the, the chorus is repeated, to the praise of his glory to the praise of his 
glory. Now, I know this is a, a difficult passage, the source of much discussion and often heated rhetoric. And, and, and all, honestly, I have to tell you that I have changed my mind on some of these words more than once, okay? It requires humility. This passage requires humility. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. <clears throat> to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. That word means beyond comprehension. We're dealing with things here that are beyond human comprehension. We may have to agree to disagree on some of these things until we get to heaven. However, here's how I would sum up this passage. I'm going to kind of give you the conclusion first. Um, this is how I would sum it up as I try to wrap my finite mind around it. So I will give you my summation, my conclusion, and then I will unpack it to tell you how I got there. As far as God the Father is concerned, and this will be repeated at the bottom, so um, as far as God the Father is concerned, you were saved when he chose you in Christ in eternity past. As far as God the Father is concerned, in the mind of God, you were saved when he chose you in Christ in eternity past. As far as the uh, as far as God the Son is concerned, you were saved when he died for you on the cross. In other words, if Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, there is no salvation. Um, if, he didn't, if he didn't literally die, then there would be no salvation. Even though in the mind of God, as we'll read here and, have, and we'll read is another passage, um, Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. The mere fact that he was slain before the foundation of the world would have been meaningless if he hadn't died in real time. Okay? So as far as the Son is concerned, you were saved when he died for you on the cross. As far as God the Spirit is concerned, you were saved when you yielded to his conviction and received Christ as your Savior. In other words... If you don't call on the name of the Lord, you won't be saved. Right? If you don't believe, if you don't confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you won't be saved. So as far as the God the Spirit is concerned, you're saved when you call upon the name of the Lord. So what began in eternity past is fulfilled in time present and will continue for all eternity. So I will try to unpack that as we look at this passage this morning. But I remind you, this is a song of praise for the plan of salvation. This is a song of praise for the plan of salvation. This is a doxology. It's a plan that involves all three members of the Trinity. As we sang to start the service, Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. All three members of the Trinity are in this passage in relation to God's plan of salvation. 
The first stanza, verses 3 through 6. The first stanza praises the sovereignty of God the Father in the plan of salvation. The first stanza praises the sovereignty of God the Father in the plan of salvation. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It's God who's done the blessing. It's God who's blessed us. And you'll notice it's past tense. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, and it's in Christ. It's in the heavenly places because that's where, that's where Christ is. It's in the heavenly places where we will enjoy them the most. Okay? Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. We are blessed with spiritual blessings from God the Father, even extending back to eternity past. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You were saved before the foundation of the world because you are in Christ. And he was slain before the foundation of the world. We are in Christ. Verse 5. He predestined us to what? To adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Being in Christ means that we were predestined to be adopted into God's family. Verse 6. Uh, to the praise, to the glory of his praise, of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. All these spiritual blessings come from being in Christ. In Christ. In the beloved. In fact, in, this, in, in, in uh, these 11 verses, Jesus is referred to by name or title or pronoun 15 times. And the, and the exact phrase, in Christ or in him, occurs 11 times. And remember, this is all one long sentence. What is this sentence about? Clearly, it's about Christ. It's about the benefits, the blessings of being in Christ. The things that are mentioned here, these things are true about those who are in Christ. The problem, as I see it often, is we want to discuss what about those who aren't in Christ. But Paul isn't discussing the unsaved. He's discussing the saved. And what he's saying is that God has chosen you for a reason. Now, we may disagree on some of the finer points of uh, how God chose us. But we can't disagree on the reason. He clearly tells us the reason. Um, verse 5, he predestined us, why? He chose us, why? To the adoption as, as sons. God has saved you for a reason, and that is for you to be adopted as a legal heir. Now, to be adopted into God's family, 
the problem is we'd have to be holy and blameless, and we're not. To be adopted by God, you'd have to, to be worthy of being in his family, and we are not. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And love he predestined us to the adoption as sons, how? Through Jesus Christ to himself. God has made us holy and blameless in him, in Christ. God took the initiative and solved our problem in Christ, in the beloved. Now, we'll see in a minute how he did that, what's that mean? But that was his purpose. In Christ, we find acceptance in the beloved. God found in Christ, in him, everything that was needed to redeem humanity from their sin without violating his righteousness. I'm not holy and blameless. I'm lost. God took the initiative to provide a solution. It's in his son. Now, I will confess, these are difficult topics. Um, election or chosen is the same word. Uh, predestination. Some, it can, they confuse me. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you what doesn't, doesn't confuse me. Go to Romans chapter 10. Here's what doesn't confuse me. Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. <laughs> There's nothing confusing about that. Um, verse 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord uh, shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, whoever uh, believes shall be saved. That's clear. Now, if you're familiar with these debates or discussions, um, you'll recognize this terminology. If you don't recognize it, that's fine. No problem. To my Calvinist, Calvinistic friends, to my Calvinist friends, I'm not Calvinist enough. To my Arminian friends, I'm too Calvinist. That's fine with me. I can reside there. I just, I read the Bible and I take it for what it says. I don't always understand it. But here was I know, here, here's what I know. I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and I had to call upon Christ to save me. Revelation twenty two seventeen. Revelation twenty two seventeen, very last, very last uh, portion of your Bible, right at the end. The spirit of the bride say, "Come," and let the one who hears say, "Come," and let the one who is thirsty come, 
and let the one who wishes to take of the water uh, wishes to take of the water without cost come. You can come. The old preachers used to use this illustration. There's a there's a door, and on the outside it says, "Whosoever will may come." And when you walk inside, you close the door. It says, "The elect." But we lose the focus here. We lose the point if we don't remind us that this is about Him. It's about to the praise of of the glory of His grace. It's all about God. It's about what God has done. God has worked out a plan to which we could be holy and blameless before him. And that plan happens when we are in Christ. The second stanza, verses 7 through 12. The second stanza praises the sacrifice of God the Son in the plan of salvation. The sacrifice of God the Son in the plan of salvation. Here we have spiritual blessings from God the Son in history past. Now, not before the world began, but in real time. Even though Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, he didn't die until 30 AD outside of Jerusalem on a Roman cross. He he had to actually die. And when he died, there were things that were accomplished for us. These things were accomplished when Christ died for you on the cross. You weren't born yet. Granted. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. We have liberation, redemption, release from the slavery of sin by the payment of his blood of a ransom. He paid for my sin on the cross. In real time, he entered into humanity, he entered into our history, and he died for our sin. So, because of the redemption, verse 7 says, the forgiveness of our trespasses, the, the remission of our trespasses, the removal of the guilt. Now notice verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of the trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Not out of the riches, but according to the riches. Again, how rich is God? Well, we saw in chapter 3, verse 8, we can't wrap our mind around it. And it's out of those riches, it's according to those riches that he, that he blesses. Not, not just a, a little bit of his riches, according to his riches of grace. More of than we need. Um, my, I had, uh, my two grandmothers uh, could not have been more different. Uh, Grandma Wilson, uh, we called her, not to her face, um, <laughs> the Queen of England. She looked like the Queen. She was small, and she carried herself like the Queen. She was very prim and proper. Okay. And she loved us in her own way, but it wasn't affectionate love. My other grandma, Grandma Taylor, she slobbered all over us. Okay? She would give us anything. In fact, how many of you remember government cheese? Do you remember government cheese? Huh? Grandma was always giving us government cheese. 
because she didn't have much, and, and the government, whatever, they would, they, they would buy the cheese, then give it away. So, uh, but she would give us, she'd give us anything. The problem was, she didn't have much. Grandma Wilson, on the other hand, however, was, relatively speaking, rich. When I was, every once in a while when I would get depressed, I'd think, you know, if my grandmas had been switched, I'd have been a lot better off. Because <laughs> the rich one would have been giving me stuff. Right? But I'll give you an illustration. My brother and I were at, her, at Grandma Wilson's house, Queen, the Queen's house, the Buckingham Palace, and... Um, uh, the Mr. Softy, how many remember Mr. Softy? Huh? It would come down their street, and when you heard the that uh, iconic song play, you'd go out and buy you an ice cream. So uh, we knew it was coming. There was some kind of schedule. I don't remember all the details, but Grandma gave us each. Now this is a long time ago, people. A quarter, <laughs> a quarter, a quarter was enough to buy your ice cream, right? She gave us both a quarter. We went on the porch to wait for Mr. Softy. My brother dropped his quarter behind the steps. It fell in the crack. We couldn't get it. I went inside. I said to Grandma, hey, Bing dropped his quarter. Find the steps. We can't get it. And she said, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I said, I don't know. Give him another quarter. She said, I already gave him a quarter. I'm not kidding. Now, you would think, being a big brother, I gave him my quarter. <laughs> Are you kidding? But here's what, I'm, here's, what, here's what I'm getting at here. God doesn't give us grace just out of his riches. Grandma gave me a quarter out of her riches. But God gives grace according to his riches. I mean, everything is his. And it's out of that abundance of grace he, 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 he saves us, he forgives us, he redeems us, he liberates us. All of our sin can be washed away under the blood of Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20. But with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Now notice this. And has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Again, in eternity past, he was known. But he had to also enter into time present to make it real to make it happen he had to shed his blood it wasn't theoretical it wasn't just in the mind of God well that, well, that would be sufficient God knew he was going to, uh, to die that would be sufficient no he came and died he died on a cross he, he bled out on a cross for my sin for your sin for everybody's sin in Christ Verse um, 8, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Again, I cannot stress how much this is about being in him. Verse 4, in him. Verse 7, in him. Verse 9, in him. Uh, verse 10, in him. Verse 13, in him. This is about being in him. So we were given redemption. We're given forgiveness. 
We're given revelation. Revelation. He's let us in on what he's doing, the mystery of his will. He's, he's, he's letting us in on eternal secrets that maybe we can understand, maybe we can't. But he's, let, but he's definitely let us know the plan of salvation. God has a plan for the universe. And it will be fully accomplished through Christ. And we know it. What else do we have? Verse 11. Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after counsel of his, of his will, of his will, which thankfully, verse 9, is a kind intention of his will. And it's kind intention of his will. He has given us an inheritance to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Now, the first to hope in Christ, Paul was speaking as a Jew. He's talking about it first came to the Jews. Verse 13, in him you also is talking about the rest of us, the Gentiles. Okay, so the first to hope in Christ was, was, Paul was an example. He was a Jewish believer. All the apostles were Jewish. The early church was Jewish. But then it spread to us Gentiles too. 1 Peter 1, 4 and 5. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So now we've seen, starting in eternity past, to present time, to eternity future. Our inheritance is guaranteed because God has given us the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So, again, how does stanza 3 end? With a chorus, verse 12, the last part, to the praise of his glory to the praise of his doxa, his glory. Third stanza. Verses 13 and 14. The third stanza praises the sealing of God the Holy Spirit in the plan of salvation. Now again, the sealing... Um, you, you've all seen movies in olden days when an official document would be would be folded, and then uh, wax would be dripped on it, and it'd be it'd be stamped, right, uh, with a stamp, and that would be the seal. And um, if if you weren't authorized by the king to open the seal, then that would be a a, 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 a punishable offense. But it was the stamp that said, "I have I have sealed this. This is my guarantee." That's what it's talking about. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. These are spiritual blessings from God, the Holy Spirit, in our, in our past, when we got saved. In other words, in present time. Now, follow me. It goes from eternity past, in the mind of God, to a history past, at the cross, where Jesus literally died, to my past, to, to our time. To our time. Um, these things happen on the day that you got saved. They didn't happen in eternity past. They happened on the day you got, you got saved. I got saved. I got saved on July 3rd, 1966. Now, I used to always say it was July 4th. And then Google came about. 
And I looked at a 1966 calendar. I should have never done it because it ruined a good story. Uh, because I always said, Sunday, July 4th, 1966. And then I looked up 1966, and Sunday was, a, was the 3rd. Which brought me out because I always used to say, when I got saved, they shut off fireworks and had a big party. <laughs> now I can't say that. The next day, they shot off fireworks and had a big party. What I do remember, though, is I got saved that Sunday morning, and my grandma gave me a dollar. The poor one, by the way. <laughs> right? And I remember thinking, I'm getting saved next week. But these things did not become true until I called upon the name of the Lord. Now, can I understand that? Can I wrap my mind around it? No. No. But on the day you got saved, look, verse 13. In him, you, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, which is us, to the praise of his glory. We were sealed. It's a finished transaction. God announced ownership over us. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. There's no space in between there to say, well, you got saved, but you didn't get the Holy Spirit until later. No, it's the same thing. Romans 8 9. Go to Romans 8 9. <clears throat> Romans 8 9 says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. So, to, belong, to be in him means you have the Spirit. Not to have the Spirit means you're not in him. So we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Again, look at verse um, 13. In him you also, now notice, after listening to the message of the truth... The gospel of your salvation, having also believed, then you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. How does a sinner become a saint? This is the question. How does a sinner become a saint? Well, it tells us right here in verse 13. He hears the gospel. She hears the gospel. As Paul said in Romans, how would they believe if they can't hear, how will they believe without someone to tell them? He hears, she hears the gospel. Secondly, they believe the gospel. They believe the gospel. Again, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So you heard it, then you believed it. He believes the gospel. And then at the same time, the Holy Spirit's work you are sealed with the Spirit. We have a pledge from God. <laughs> Verse 14. It's, a, it's an earnest. It's a down payment. 
We used to do, we, we, we used to use the illustration that you know it's kind of like an, an engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is, is the engagement ring that that you know that, that there's a there's a wedding in our future, and there is the the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But the problem is, as some of us have experienced, um, engagements can be broken, and, the, and they can give you the ring back. Right? Ask me about that later. Okay. But this is a pledge. This is, this is God saying, um, you have trusted the gospel. You shall be saved. You say, well, why? To the praise of my glory? No, verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So what began in eternity past? Verse 4, found, uh, before the foundation of the world. So what began in eternity past was fulfilled in time present. Verse 7. All right? He died in the blood of Christ. And will continue for all eternity. Verse 10. With a view of an administration suitable to the fullness of times. To, that, to the summing up of all things in Christ. Verse 12. To the end. What began in eternity past was fulfilled in time present, will continue for all eternity. Why? To the praise of his glory. All three persons of the Trinity, all three persons of the Godhead are involved in our salvation. 1 Peter 1, 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So how do I sum this? How would I sum this up? As far as God the Father is concerned, you were saved when he chose you in Christ and eternity passed. The passage is pretty clear about that. As far as God the Son is concerned, you were saved when he died for you on the cross. That's when he paid the price for your sin. That's when he bought your redemption. As far as God the Spirit is concerned, you were saved when you yielded to his conviction and received Christ as your Savior. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. Let's pray. Oh Lord, this is, this is weighty stuff. And... Um, much of it hard to, 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 to fully comprehend. I, I, I admit that. And, but Lord, my practice has always been for 40 years to read the Bible and let it say what it says. And it's pretty clear what it says here. I can't, I can't figure it all out. How does this work? Uh, if I don't call upon them, Lord, I'm not saved. Um, so to make this election sure, I, I have to Trust Christ. I have to believe the gospel. So, Lord, I, I, my prayer would be for each of us. Have we trusted Christ? The gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day for our sins. He, he paid the price. Whoever will call upon the Lord, believing in what he's done for us, shall be saved. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. It's, it's, a, it's a guarantee to all who are in Christ.
So, Lord, the key here is being in Christ. These things are only true about people in Christ. To the praise of his glory. Amen.